0: chapter 6. And church, what I'm going to talk with you about this morning, what the Spirit of God wants to talk to you about this morning, is not always the easiest thing to hear, and it's easily misunderstood. We're going to continue our series called Kingdom Come. We've been talking about the reality that Jesus didn't just come to get people to heaven. In fact, he made it absolutely clear that he came to get heaven into people. And so he preached a message that has to do with something called the kingdom of God, which means experiencing God's leadership directly in your life. And he invited us to enter into that because it changes our experience here on earth as well as paving the way into eternity. And we've been exploring what that means in the last three weeks. What is the kingdom of God? How do we enter the kingdom of God? And and this morning, we're going to take the next step in that journey. And, And let me begin by asking you this. Here's a sensitive question for a serious moment, Um, maybe around your kitchen table, if we were sitting together and had time to talk. How do you handle it when you're hated? How do you handle it when somebody hates you? Now, if I were to ask for a show of hands of how many people in this room have had somebody hate them, every hand is going to go up. We've all been there. We've all had that experience. How do you handle it when it happens? And as I invite you to think about that, uh, let me ask you, do you recognize this guy? Of course you do. We all do. Abraham Lincoln. For an amateur historian like myself, he's a pretty fascinating guy. And here's why he's so fascinating to me. He knew how to be hated. He lived in a time when there was a great cause at stake abolition, putting an end to slavery in our nation. And he he understood that in order to pursue that cause, in order to do good, he had to learn how to be hated. We think of him as a hero. We think of him as somebody universally loved, but that is not the truth or the reality. Half the country left the country out of hatred for what he did, and he understood that and, in fact, owned and accepted it. One of Abraham Lincoln's staunchest adversaries, if you know your history, was a man named Stephen Douglas was running against him for his party's nomination. He didn't like Lincoln. He wasn't afraid to say so. During one of their public debates, he famously told uh, Mr. Lincoln that he thought he was two-faced. I love Lincoln's reply. He said, really? If I had two faces, Mr. Douglas, do you think I'd be wearing this one? (laughs) Which is, you know, (laughs) cute. It's a beautiful way to handle being hated. Some of us think modern politics is unprecedented. We just don't know anything about history. But let me ask you again. How do you handle it? When people hate you. When they reject you. When they don't include you. Or, or when they persecute you. You know, the truth is, I know this is going to shock you. But I have a few people who hate me. I know that's almost impossible to believe. But just fantasize with me. Some of them hate me for good reasons there's a man i went to boot camp with 37 years ago who at least for a season i'm sure hated me because while we were in boot camp me and another guy were ordered to perjure ourselves in order to see him thrown out of boot camp and he was thrown out of boot camp because i didn't have the courage nor did the other guy to refuse to do that so he hates me and and that should humble me and it does But I've also had people who hated me for the wrong reason. I remember a weekend when I was home on recruiting duty, wearing my uniform at an intersection in downtown Eugene, Oregon. Some guys pulled up and shouted a lot of ugly stuff at us about the military, and then I was spit on. So I've had that experience. It's not one I would recommend, but I've experienced it. Been hated for the right reason. I remember going in and my drill instructor saying, well, it's their right to express themselves that you protect and defend. Talk about a grown-up moment. Sometimes we find ourselves hated for, you know, honest mistakes or or misunderstandings or or maybe just for the color of our skin or the country we were born in. That sort of thing's inevitable. has more to do with other people's issues than ours. And this is why the scripture says to us very carefully in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But implicit in that command is the reality that sometimes it's not possible, and sometimes it doesn't depend on you. And hearing that, some of us may need to let ourselves off some hooks as we ponder that reality. Sometimes we're hated because we've genuinely sinned against other people. We need to let that humble us, but... There's a different kind of willingness to be hated that God wants to talk to us about this morning, and it's the kind that Abraham Lincoln understood. You see, church, Jesus' invitation, hear me now on this Memorial Day weekend, Jesus' invitation to enter the kingdom of God is a call to be willing to be hated because we love people enough to tell the truth even when they don't want to hear it. Jesus's invitation to the kingdom of God is a call to be willing to be hated because we love enough to tell the truth even when that truth isn't popular. That's what President Lincoln did. And that's what Jesus has called us to do and to be willing to do. I invited you to turn to Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 22. Let's let's listen to Jesus talk to us about this reality for just a moment. Listen to your Lord, your Savior, who we just worshipped. Listen to what he says. He says, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets, not the false prophets, but the real ones. Jesus is saying that when we find ourselves on the wrong end of public opinion, we're to understand that that means we're probably on the right side of eternity. Blessed are you when men hate you, Jesus says to me and to you. That flies in the face of a whole lot of popular nonsense about the Christian life. The worst false prophets will tell you that being a Christian means being well-liked and popular and respected and successful. Sometimes it does. But it also means being willing to be hated for the wrong reasons. Now, now we struggle with that, and and, and let me tell you the truth about me, because it's also the truth about you. We hate to be hated because it wounds our pride. But Jesus didn't have any pride, and he understood that what was at stake in every day of every life was way more important than being popular or liked was way more important than being hated. And so he not only expected and accepted other people's hate, he invited us to do the same thing and to understand the importance of it. Sometimes, sometimes as believers, because we get so sideways about this, we think that if someone hates us, we must be failing somehow, that we must be not being Christian enough. But the truth is, is that being hated for the right reasons, Jesus says, is the proof that we've entered the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. Being hated for the right reasons is proof that we've entered the kingdom of God. You know, I love how Philip Yancey writes about this in one of the best books I ever read. It's called The Jesus I Never Knew. And in there, he points out that the, the Jesus that, that many people believe in could never, ever make people so angry that they formed a mob to kill him. But the real one did. The real one, the Jesus that many of us imagine is kind of like Mr. Rogers. Everybody likes Mr. Rogers, right? But the real one got the city so wound up that they formed a mob to murder him. He made people mad enough that they shouted to set a murderer free instead of him. Think about that for just a moment. And Jesus goes out of his way to drive this idea home. Why? Because sometimes you have to be willing to be unpopular in order to do good. You know, this shouldn't be like a rocket science revelation. Every parent understands this. Have you ever said something unpopular to your kids that they didn't want to hear? Show your hand. I mean, come on. It's like, do you mean this morning, Pastor Greg? Or, you know... uh, I mean, that's reality. And and as parents, what do we understand? What do we understand? We know what they don't know. And so we tell them what is unpopular because of our love for them, because of our understanding of what love is. And Jesus invites you and me to live in this world that way towards everyone. Imagine if... um, If Jesus posted an ad on Craigslist for disciples, it might read something like this. Looking for quality people to be hated, excluded, insulted, and rejected for a good cause. No pay for now, but I promise you my check is in the mail. You might get killed. You will be misunderstood. You can expect to be rejected, ridiculed, and shunned sometimes. Give me a call if you're interested. Now, we might think nobody would answer that ad except for one little phrase in the middle of it. Willing to do it for a good cause. Let me tell you a secret about you. Way down deep inside of you and me is a willingness to pay the price if we know the cause is worth it. And what Jesus is inviting us to do is get in touch with that part of our creation that he planted in us. We are made for this. You might think nobody would answer an ad like that. You would be surprised. I love to tell the story, I've shared it before, so maybe you've heard it, but about a group of recruiters who appeared at a high school in Los Angeles in order to, you know, give the pitch to make a career out of the military. And they were told beforehand, we have limited time in the assembly, so each of you can only have two minutes. And of course the army went up and then the Navy and then the Air Force and and they all went a little over so that by the time it was time for the Marine to go up, uh, the, the principal said, I'm sorry, we don't have any time. You only got 30 seconds, go quick. He says, no problem. And he walked up and he said, uh, they told me I only have 30 seconds. The other guys had more time, but it's no problem. Because most of you couldn't handle it, wouldn't dare do it. And if you think you could, meet me in the hall. You know what happened. There's a mob met him in the hall. Because there's something in us that wants to rise to the cause. And church, let me help you understand that when you access that part of you, you're going to find a joy beyond measure. The scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 that Jesus for the joy set before him went to the cross. He went there because he knew it was worth it. He knew it was important and he understood the price but he was thrilled to pay it because of the cost. And Jesus invites us to adopt the same attitude. The truth is that there's a part of us that's hungry to do this because there's a part of us that knows nothing else, can satisfy our souls. And Jesus is inviting us to embrace that part of us. He's inviting you to embrace that part of you. Okay, enough time has gone by that I can throw out a spoiler from the Avengers. All right, you ready for this? All right, here it is. People have asked me, a number of people, say, Pastor Greg, what was your favorite part of Avengers 4? And and everybody assumes it's the part where Captain America, my hero, finally grabs Thor's hammer and uses it to fight the bad guy. Okay, that's a fun moment. Everybody jumps up and yells. But it's actually not the best moment. The moment I loved was after everybody else got wiped out and caps all by himself and his shields broke and uh, all the enemies are stacked up against him and all his allies are down. And he climbs up and tightens his shield and says, let's go. He knows he's toast. But he's unwilling even in that moment to back away from what's right. Church, there's a part of you that thrills To live like that. And that's why Jesus calls us to be willing to be hated. Notice what he says. To be excluded, insulted, to have your name rejected as evil. Some of us think that's the worst fate. Somebody on Facebook doesn't like me. Really? Who cares? What matters is what you stand for. And who you stand with. Jesus experienced all those things in spades. We should expect to as well. And, and he throws a line in there. He says, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. In other words, this is how it goes with people who choose to tell the truth in love. About the real God of love. They are rejected. They are hated by some. Now, understand, friends, Jesus did not say it's always a good thing to be hated. He said it's a good thing to be hated because of the Son of Man. In other words, when, when we are hated for being like Jesus, that's a good thing. You know, the Jesus who prayed for his enemies as they murdered him, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That Jesus to put it another way, it's good to be hated when you're doing the right things in a good way because you follow him, because he's your king and your highest loyalty is to his kingdom. There are lots of foolish people who think that being hated is a badge of honor in itself. Sometimes it's just the result of being a jerk. Somebody say amen. I and mean, that's reality. The apostle Paul wrote to his Jewish brothers in Romans chapter 2 verse 24, some of the most piercing words we could ever hear, he says to his fellow Jews, God's name is blasphemed. God's name is cursed among the Gentiles because of you. In other words, the way you behave gives God a bad name. Peter's going to tell us that when you're persecuted for stuff like that, hey, enjoy it because you earned it. But Jesus in this moment is talking about something very different from that. He's talking about those of us who follow Christ in his spirit, in his way. We are going to find ourselves sometimes hated and persecuted. I love what Mark Twain said describing someone who is religious but not Christ-like. He said he was a good man in the worst sense of the word. (laughs) Being hated for that, there's no reward. But being hated for being a follower, now that's a different thing. And Jesus calls me and you to understand that there is a time to be hated. So when is that and why is that? Let's take a moment and talk about that. The answer is whenever the truth about who God is is at stake, we must be willing to be hated because his truth is his expression of love. Think again of the parent image. A father God's truth is the expression of his love even when childish human beings don't like it. It's an expression of his love, and we must stand with him. That is, by the way, why Jesus in verse 22 of Luke chapter 6 contrasts uh, being treated like the prophets and and the way people treated the false prophets. (laughs) He says the false prophets were loved. Yeah, but they were also wrong, and their message had nothing to do with the real God of love. So Jesus calls me to understand that there is a time to be hated. This is what drove great people like William Wilberforce and Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King Jr. and Abraham Lincoln and all those who struggled so long and hard against slavery and racism. They knew that it was a lie. They knew the lie was rotting the souls of millions, both slaves and slave owners, both racists and victims of racism. And so they were willing to be persecuted for the sake of those who persecuted them. Let me say that again. They were willing to be persecuted for the sake of those who persecuted them. That they would know the truth of the God of love. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about the believers who in the beginning were so willing to be persecuted. They joyfully embraced it. Acts chapter 4 and 5 tell us a powerful story we don't have time to get into about the early believers who rejoiced because they've been counted worthy of suffering for the name. It's an amazing heritage that we're invited to walk in, but it happens when you and I hear Jesus saying, blessed are you when men hate you because of the son of man. Church, what we must understand is that the kingdom of God is a kingdom at war. Not against people, but against lies about who God is. And to enter the kingdom means to take sides in that war of ideas. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 tells us, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, the kingdom of God doesn't fight against people. We fight for people. And we do that by insisting on God's truth in the spirit of Christ. This is why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We don't believe that we can bomb our enemies out of existence. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, of who he is. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let me put this another way. To enter the kingdom of God means to take sides in the war of ideas over who the Father is. And specifically, it means to take Jesus' side and stand with him with a willingness to suffer like he did because we know that nothing less than the truth about God will help people. Can I say that again? Nothing less than the truth about who God is will help people. Another of our presidents, Woodrow Wilson, expressed this attitude well. He said, I would rather fail in a cause that will ultimately succeed than succeed in a cause that will ultimately fail. Jesus is inviting us to enter into that kind of cause. Understand, friends, that that Christ followers under ancient Rome weren't persecuted because they resisted the government physically. They were persecuted because they resisted it philosophically. They insisted that there's a greater kingdom to whom they owed a greater loyalty. Rome was incredibly tolerant in its day. They said you can have whatever religion you want as long as you also have ours. As long as you also say Caesar is Lord. Christians wouldn't do that. They said Jesus is Lord. And that's where the lions and the burning at the stake and the persecution came from. It wasn't because they took up arms. It was because they were unwilling to surrender the truth. And Jesus invites us to walk in that same spirit. This spiritual warfare works itself out in some very practical ways. Let me help you understand just a couple of them. First of all, it means that we belong to our king before we belong to our country. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 tells us this when it says our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, it means that we define right and wrong according to what our king says, not what our culture says. The Bible tells us, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, or slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's the truth. Paul goes on to say now that is what some of you were, but you were washed and you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. But because of that truth, we are the ones willing to be hated for saying what is right and good. Let me get real personal with you for a moment, friend. Are you willing to be persecuted by for telling your friend that he or she is wrong to divorce? Or to chase romance? outside of the covenant of marriage? you willing to say that? Most people in our country wouldn't dare. The followers of Jesus would. Would you be willing to confront them about their alcoholism? Or their gossip? Or their cheating business practices? If not, why not? The only possible answer is that you don't believe Jesus when he says, blessed are you when men hate you when they persecute you and reject you because of the Son of Man. Listen, friends, to be in the kingdom of God means we stand for right and wrong. No matter what the culture does. No matter what the culture does. And third, it means that we insist, just like those early believers, that there's only one Savior. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Only one even as we remember, as we've learned in this series, that somebody currently outside the boundaries can be oriented towards him. Remember the whole business about the tax collectors and the prostitutes? And that some inside the boundaries are actually oriented away from him. Now, to insist that there's only one Savior, friends in the culture we live in today, this isn't popular. Some will call it bigoted, narrow, disrespectful. Some will even call it hateful. But we're willing to be hated for this truth, just like Lincoln was willing to be hated for being against slavery, dear friends, understand what the Bible says. Second Timothy chapter three, maybe the most uh, um, penetrating quote I'm going to share with you this morning because we're almost done. Paul tells Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Can I tell you the truth about me? I don't like conflict. I always want to avoid it in my heart. But I learned a long time ago that if I want to follow Jesus, I need to expect it. I need to be unafraid of it. In fact, I need to be willing to embrace it sometimes. Now, the Bible says that we respond to that hatred in a very specific way. First Corinthians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 tell us when we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. So there's a certain way we handle it. But what we have to do is be willing to be hated so that we will speak up in love when the time is right. We must be willing to be hated for the right reasons. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 to you and me, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's a rhetorical question. There's no answer. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, uh, light a lamp, and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In other words, don't hide. Don't run. Don't be a coward. There's too much at stake. Instead, follow King Jesus even when it leads to a cross, because the cross is the door to a resurrection and the means to make the gospel heard. Here's the good news. When you live this kind of loyalty to your king, you will lose your fear of persecution. See, here's the amazing thing. Lots of people, I'm afraid. I don't want people to hate me. I don't. You know what? Once you accept it for the right reasons, once you understand that, that Jesus is calling you to it and you own it, you lose your fear of it. Suddenly, it, it doesn't have nearly the power it used to have in your life. Why? Because the joy of sharing his message, overcomes it. We think of Abraham Lincoln as the most beloved of people. But on the evening of April 14th, 1865, he entered the Ford Theater in Washington, D.C., as we know, with his wife to watch a play and to enjoy the peace which had only five days earlier been established with the surrender of the Confederacy. But even in that moment, consumed by rage at the president's suggestion that he would give full voting rights to African-Americans, John Wilkes Booth swore to murder him, and then he did just that. But here's the question as we close this morning. If Abraham Lincoln were standing here this morning, and we asked him if he's willing to do it all over again, I think I know what his answer would be. Would you be willing to trade places with him if you were given the chance? Would you consider it a price worth paying to make that kind of difference? There's a part of you that would, and that's the part of you Jesus is speaking to when he says this to us. The Apostle Paul says, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Just reflect on that for a moment. By setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I want to finish with a story, short and simple story I've shared it before. Bear with me, please. When I was about ten years old, I went shooting with my grandpa. I loved spending time with my grandpa, the most important man in my life. When I grew up, he would take me shooting all the time. One time we were out shooting. I was just enjoying it so much, just him and me in the woods. Western Oregon all by ourselves for the whole day and in the middle of shooting at one point I was just so warm and fuzzy and I I put my rifle down and I thought to myself this is awesome and when I did I rested my loaded rifle barrel down on my toe I was 10 I'll never forget my grandpa's reaction He shouted at me. He snatched the rifle out of my hand and he chewed me out worse than he ever chewed me out in my entire life. And we got back into the truck and without saying a word, he drove me home and dropped me off. I can't tell you how thankful I am for that moment. Because in that moment, I learned that a weapon's not a toy, that it's to be respected. That it's to be treated safely. Now, you and I both know he drove all the way home in mortal terror of what we would have said to grandma if something would have happened to me. All right. But he was willing to cross a boundary most of us are afraid to cross because he loved me. Because what was at stake was so important. Jesus calls you and me to be like that in our world. Would you be willing to say to your friend, this divorce is wrong? Would you be willing to say this relationship is wrong? Would you be willing to say what you're doing in your business is wrong? And on and on we could go. Jesus says, blessed are you. Rejoice for great is your reward in heaven in those moments. And it's the end of the story that matters. Can I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning and I wonder if right here and now, the spirit of your savior isn't calling your attention to some moment, to some situation in your life when God is calling you to take a stand, not to be a jerk, but to firmly and lovingly tell the truth. Understand that when he gives you that invitation, because he wants you to discover the joy that enabled him to go to the cross and rescue us all. And that there is a reward for being hated that is precious beyond measure. Lord Jesus, this morning we live in a world that um, you know, is hostile to who you are and what you say. Lord, yet you came to that world and you went to a cross and you prayed for those who murdered you. God, give us the faith, the courage, the love to be willing to do the same that we might live in the kingdom of God. We pray for that. We thank you for confronting us this morning as we go out into this Memorial Day, Lord. Let it be with an awareness that we too are called to sacrifice for the good of those around us. We pray for that. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you stand with me, church?